You're listening to the Power and Lifting Podcast. I'm your host, Solana Lewis. And in this podcast, we will talk about the sports of powerlifting, what it's like to be a female strength athlete, what it's like to be a strength coach, nutrition, tips to help yourself in your athletic endeavors, and more. I'm so happy you're here. Let's dive into today's podcast. <laughs> oh boy what a day i that like was... i like can't believe i'm talking to you <laughs> well i saw you post that and i was like well wait do i follow her back and then i started looking through your stuff because now i'm being a stalker and i was like <laughs> i don't want to my face gets red really easy but i'm like why 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 me i'm always like that though when people are why always, you uh, I'm just Girl. a lifter. I am a lifter, just like you are, just like anybody else. Okay, yes. And it's funny because some people come up to me and be like, oh my gosh, you're so cool. I'm like, what? But like for you, Barbara, like you have been around since before I even started. So when I first started lifting, I don't know when I found you, but it was very early on. I've been a powerlifter for like six years. Like I found you probably like year one and a half early. And I was just like, what is this? Like, she's so strong. Like, I didn't like, it's like, you made me, you're one of the people who made me think like, I can get really strong if I keep going. Like, she's like really strong. Like, like she's not just like, oh, I have 225 on the bar, which like when I was first starting, like, that was a lot for me. And I was like, no, she's got like six plates on each side. Like, no, that's <laughs> where I started too, though. So I started in 2013. And my very first meet, my opener, I think might've been like, which was stupid. My coach had no idea what he was doing. My opener was like 200 pounds, which was my gym max. Needless to say, I bombed. Okay. <laughs> my very first meet, I bombed out. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know if this sport's for me because I was so intimidated by all the people watching and everybody that I talked to. And I've done one other podcast, one podcast, one other interview. But like people don't know that I'm actually really shy. So like, they're like, how do you do a YouTube channel and you're shy? It's a camera, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm sitting in a room talking to myself. So it's a lot different than having to actually like be in a room full of people and you know they're all looking at you because that part, I can't stand it. I've gotten better about it over the years but that literally used to make me wanna throw up and so yeah, my first meet, when they said squat, I was like, Bleh! and then I went down and I stayed down four times, four times because they misloaded me. And so they were like, oh, we misloaded your third. Do you want to do it again? Not really. I sure don't, but I will. And then my coach was like, come on, you know, you can do this. What? What are you talking about? No, I can't. So yeah, people always laugh at that story, but I competed again two months later. I think I dropped my opener to like 145, something like that. And then I was like, yeah, I think I kind of like this. I think I could do it. So yeah, I started off same boat as everybody else. Started with the bar and then you got the 25s on there and you get excited because they start looking like big plates. No. Every, it's everybody's the same but yeah it's been eight years now which is crazy wait a minute so like obviously you bombing out was a long time ago did that like 
really teach you a huge lesson about the sport? At the time, no, other than the fact that I was just so nervous and I was like, you have to figure out a way how to channel that. But it took me years because I would go to the gym. I always went to the same gym, trained around the same people. I was fine. If I had to go to another gym and people were there, I would freak out because I was like, they're going to watch me and I don't want them to watch me. Like I actually left a gym crying one night because I heard some guys talking like, go ask her if she needs a spot. Look at how much weight she's doing. And I was so scared they were going to come up to me that I unloaded the bar and I left. I didn't even do my workout. A whole mess. Wow. <laughs> a big mess. Yeah. And so, look at you now. Yeah. It's still kind of surreal because there's sometimes where like, I'm just like, are you really about to go do this? Like, I know you've been training for it. Like, you know, you should be able to do it, but are you really about to go do this with all these people watching? And it kind of got to the point to where I was just like, you know, I'm just, I have spotters. I'll be fine. <laughs> like, that's what I tell myself. You have spotters, you've been training, you know what you're supposed to do. And I've gotten some really great coaches over the year. So that's kind of helped with, not only the physical strength, but the mental aspect of it too. And I think a lot of people don't think about that's something else that needs to be trained, you know, because you can't go in the gym with, oh, I don't care. I don't want to work out today. I don't want to do this. And you have that mindset and then you have a bad session and you wonder why. Or you're approaching the bar at a meet. Oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. Oh my God, it's going to feel so heavy. Yeah, you talked yourself out of it already. So how, what's the biggest thing that helped you train the mental aspect? He said, number one, getting a coach that's actually good for you was big. But like, what else was it? Because it can't just be a spotter there. Like, I see spotters too, and I'm still having a heart attack. So, Right. No, it, part of it, getting over competing in front of people was more because I started with my coach that I'm back with now. But when I was training with Steve Goggins four years ago, five years ago. And I would go out to Atlanta to go train with him and he would make a, everybody would train in a group, but he made us all wait. And everybody, every time it was their turn, everybody else had to stop and come cheer them on. And so the first time I was out there and it was my turn, I tried to like go in the corner and hide and like do all my, and he was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm doing my stuff over here. And he's like, no, you're going to wait your turn until everybody else goes, come over here. And I was like, but I, I don't want to. I don't want people to look at me. Well, which thing's going to happen on the platform? Yeah, I know. I have a problem with that right now. And he said, this is how we're going to fix it. So being in the gym. But then, too, like he used to always tell me, come on, got to get your mind right. You got you to know you're going to do this. You got to feel confident. Think about it. You've done this already. So that is going to feel the same way. Don't think about it. Just I'm not going to put anything on the bar that I don't think you can do. So that helped give me confidence. And then also being able to talk to him about it. And how did you figure out this? Why did you decide on this number versus this? How did you, like, what in my training made you think we could go for more versus sticking with the numbers we had planned? So the same way he does with me, stuff that I've learned from him, some of my other coaches is kind of what I've implemented with my athletes as well. 
But then too, you just have to learn how to read people. And that was something I kind of struggled with because I used to always just like, okay, this is how I am. This is my approach, take it or leave it. But then, you know, it's like, you could really help that person if maybe you approach them this way. Or, you know, sometimes you have to be team mom. Sometimes you have to be a little harder. Sometimes you have to like slap the crap out of them because they like that kind of stuff. You know, you just have to figure it out. But for me, it was just doing it a lot, competing a lot. I've done, I think almost 30 meets. I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and look. I legit was looking at your whole driver guide. Not count how many meets, but I was just like, it's a long list. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my and first year I did five, which was insane. And then the year I was probably at my strongest before I got hurt, I think I did five that year too. I would never suggest anybody do that ever. Like now I'm like two or three and I'm good. That's enough because... By the end of it, you're excited to get on the platform, but like you hear all the time, everything hurts, you're tired. If you're cutting, that's me right now, then it's even worse. So yeah, I wanna put myself through that two, maybe three times, preferably not around the holidays. I like to cook, I like to eat. So I wanna compete before November, preferably not in January and yeah, I have one meet this, I have the showdown and then that's it for the year. And then I'm going to do um, Battle of the Bay in February. And then I don't have my next one picked out. I'm shooting for something in August, maybe, I mean, July or after August, but yeah, I'm good with two. I'm almost 40. That's enough. So like if for your current lifters, do you tell them like, cause I, I get this question all the time. Like, okay, is it my first meet? I'm all excited. I want to do like 25 more next month. I'm like, no. And they're like, well, how many should I do? Do you say the speed spot for a brand new lifter is two or three meets per year? No, I tell them to do more, mainly because they need to get the platform experience. Um, but also just because a lot of times with newer lifters, I don't push them to like, okay, we're about to see where your max is. It's more Let's get your technique down, learn about the sport, be around the sport, you know, get as much of it as you can. So if they want to do three or four meets, fine. I will let them know, hey, don't expect to go have huge PRs from meet one to meet two. That's only two months apart. You're not giving yourself time to gain any strength or not much anyway. But then again, if your first meet, you made a bunch of stupid mental air, not stupid, but mental errors, inexperienced errors, forgetting your commands, stuff like that, then you may only hit two out of three of each of your lifts. And then you come back your next meet, hit three for three, go nine for nine. And then you have a 30 pound PR, but it's because you fixed listening to your commands versus actually getting stronger. So in the beginning, I'm like, yeah, go ahead, get your meets done. I'm not going to push you to failing lifts because I'm pushing you to do a maximum number of reps or something like that it's more just getting a feel for it and then once you start getting more experience and start talking to me about coach I want to hit this number I have this goal I'm close to this record whatever and it's like all right then that means we're gonna have to dial back how many times you compete because we need to give you time enough to get stronger so you can actually do it and one huge thing you said earlier Barbara you said your coach said to you early on 
I'll never put a number on the bar that you can't do. So and it sounds like that was a game changer for you too, because like it helps you trust the coach more and that's gonna give you even more confidence. So have exactly. you taken that into your own coaching as well for your lifters? Yeah. And when I'm during a during a training cycle, like if a co- if a client comes to me and says, Coach, I want to hit this number, and I'm like, Oh, you do? Because <laughs> that's kind of big by when. And then they tell me. I will flat out say, yeah, I don't know about that one. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to happen. Like I keep it very real with them. But then if I think they're close to it, then I'll tell them you got to earn it because I'm not going to put it on the bar if I don't think you can do it. One, I don't want you to get hurt. Two, you're not embarrassing me. So like what kind of coach am I to be like, I'm just going to load it up. I don't care. That's what he wants. No, I would never. Now, I do talk to them at the meet in the beginning, and especially inexperienced lifters, if I can be at the meet, I don't tell them what's on the bar, because that worked so well with me, because I didn't know, I didn't have, you put what? But I only did this in training. Why did you put this? Oh, that's too much. Don't think about it. Just go, trust your coach, do what you're supposed to do. But my more experienced lifters, and especially the ones that I train with every day, and I see how they're doing. I'll be like, hey, I don't like how that looked. No, I promise. I got it. I swear. What you thinking for my next one? Well, I was thinking this, but after I saw that, I don't know. No, B, I promise. I got it. I got it. I'm telling you. All right. You, all right. And then I'm like, okay, you proved me wrong. All right. Good job. But then too, it's like, hey, I feel like I can push you on this one. And they're like, you sure? Yes, I definitely see it. You got to fight for me but I see it. And they're like, all right, I got it. I got it. So it just depends on the person, but I like to try to give them, I want to give them some say, you know, I I don't want anybody to go through a meet and be done and be like, well, this is what I wanted to do. And my coach didn't let me. And then I hit all my numbers easy. You know, I don't want them to feel like that whole experience was a sandbag and they didn't get the most out of it. But I also don't want them to come off of a meet feeling discouraged because they missed stuff that they probably shouldn't have been attempting anyway. And I think that's what's the hardest thing to balance about coaching, especially on meet day. Like realistically, you got 60 seconds, right? And either you have you might have that lifter who's like, I got it. And you're like, no, you don't. Or like they have zero confidence. Like we were just mentioning, you're like, no, like I'm going to push you because I know you can do this. And right. it's like, would you say that's probably the toughest part about meet day? is like you as the coach handling the attempt selection while handling their emotions in yes. 60 seconds. The emotional part. And if Kathy watches this, she's going to kill me. But one of my clients, so she just came back a year ago from a back surgery, blew a disc in her back on a fourth attempt on a deadlift and got taken away in an ambulance. I was coaching and refing. So I had to finish repping the meat and then I went to the hospital to pick her up and she's sitting in the car crying. She's also an older woman. She'll be 55 this year. So I know she's thinking like my career is done, you know, like at my age plus, you know, this is a major back surgery I'm going to have to have. This is just going to be bad. And I'm sitting there feeling horrible because I don't do fourth attempts. I don't want load me up on my third. And if that's it, I won't. I don't want to go ever. I don't think, I'm trying to think, I don't think I've ever done, maybe once done a fourth attempt, but no, I'm, mm-mm. but she wanted it and I said, okay. And so I kind of felt guilty and it wasn't because 
she wasn't strong enough because her third attempt was like crap I should have given her more and then she's like well it's a record I can go for a fourth and I was like sure you want to do that all right and then she gets hurt and so she came back this year she trained her butt off came back this year and the last meet she did she PR'd she she PR'd all of her previous best numbers before she had surgery including her deadlift and she finally pulled 400 pounds and the bad thing is at the meet she pulled her opener she was fine she pulls her second attempt and I had never seen her do this before but she starts leaning back and leaning back and I'm like where is she going and the next thing you know puts the bar down two reds because her knees went soft she starts crying. And I was like, Kathy, what are you crying for? You got another attempt. What's wrong? I said, it's no, it's fine. I said, you lifted it. It looked good. I know what to put on the bar for your next attempt if you stop crying, because you ain't going to be able to go lift with you crying right now. And she was like, but it's not okay, because I missed it. I said, Kathy, you lifted the weight. You locked it out. You just leaned back too far. And I mean, like, I was like, oh, my God. I don't know what to do with this. I'm gonna walk away. Cause right now I wanna be like, clean that crap up and get it together, girl. We got another lift. But I'm like, let her have her moment. And so I walked away and I'm like, she has probably like 10 minutes to get it together before she's up again. And so like three people out, she starts tearing up again. I said, get it together. I'm no, we are not doing this. You got another lift, let's go. Nah, I was good before. I'm not okay with this right now. I know you can do this. You know it's a fix. Let's go. Fix your face. Let's go. Like now I'm talking to my two-year-old nephew. Fix your face. <laughs> and she came back. She pulled it, locked it out, got her white. And she was just kind of relieved. And I don't know if she thought I was going to put like maybe five pounds heavier, but I went up like 20 pounds. Like I knew. Oh, oh yeah. Because I knew what her goal was and it looked good. It was just a brain fart. And so when I told her, oh my God, first she had to celebrate and dance and do all that <laughs> stuff, but then she started bawling. And I was like, you can cry all you want now, but <laughs> yeah. at that moment, I was just like, what's the right, what's the right approach? Because I had the same thing happen with one of my guys. They gave him the down command before he was finished pulling and he wasn't locked out. So the two side judges gave him reds. And I was like, why did they tell him to put it down? And this was like a number he had been shooting for. He got injured four weeks before the meet and we still managed to pull it together. And I mean, he started crying and I was like, I'm gonna walk away. I know how he is, I gotta let this be. But when it was time, I went up and I was like, what do you wanna do? And he said, I wanna go. As a coach, you know to watch somebody strain that hard. And I mean, that was probably a seven second deadlift, like just, constantly pulling pull. he doesn't have anything left yeah like I knew that but there was no way I was going to tell him you can't try again you know just the fact that he had the heart to even say he wanted to so it yeah it's hard managing emotions on meet day but then again if you're training with them regularly you got to deal with the same thing in the gym because they might have a bad day and you got to deal with the emotions there they might, I don't feel like doing all these reps and you got to deal with the attitude there, you know, and it's just like, okay, well, I don't feel like calling the numbers you wanted to meet, then that's fine. 
we can do this however you want to. So that's fine. Can I ask you, this is more for my listeners. Um, a lot of my people don't know about fourth attempts. So okay. can you explain how you get a fourth attempt? And this is for stuff outside the USAPL for anyone who's wondering. Because <laughs> USAPL, we stop? don't do fourth attempts. Mm-mm. Never? We've never done fourth attempts. Hmm. Why do I feel like I remember that? I mean, unless it's it was before so I started. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to look back. I don't know. I never did it. But so fourth attempts are for if you've broken a state record that is not your own record. So if you already held the record and you break it on your th- like you set the record on your opener, there was no record. And then you break it and you move it up higher on your second, move it up higher on your third. You can't go for a fourth attempt. If you are within, I believe it's if you're within five pounds of it on your third attempt or two and a half kilos, then you can go for a fourth attempt to break the record. Or if you break it on your third and you still feel like you have more in you and you want to go for a fourth, you have to go ask the judge if you can go for a fourth attempt, which I don't know that they would ever say no. I'm the type that would say no, just because I'm like, this is making the meat take even longer. (laughs) We're already going to be here till five, six o'clock. But I mean, you got to let people, it's in the rules. You have to let them do it. So they have to meet certain requirements to be able to do it. But yeah. And that fourth attempt does not count towards your total. Oh, I didn't know. Right. No, it's only for the record. So only your three attempts actually go towards your total. So if you add 30 pounds on that fourth attempt, it does not add to your total. So now I fully understand why you're like, why would I go for fourth attempt? <laughs> Especially if you broke the record, you should have put that on your third attempt. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, listen, I don't do it. <laughs> okay, that is no. great. I mean, I just learned just now. So <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. So You're speaking welcome. of different federations, when I was going through your history, what's the word? Your, oh, what's it? My resume. Thank my, you. I was like, what's that word? Resume. I thank guess you. my list of bio, my <laughs> stats, resume. So you started at APF, right? Mm-hmm. So basically you went APF to USAPL, did NAPF, then went to USPA. So my question is, what made us do APF first, which is probably the, everyone's that first all reading. Had. See, that's everyone's first. So I'm <laughs> like, let me ask the stereotypical question. <laughs> yeah, I was in Louisiana and the only people who powerlifted that I knew of, I found out actually later, not in the beginning, was the college team there. So there was nobody. I didn't know any other guy powerlifters and definitely not any girls. So then I just started Googling powerlifting meets and the big federation at the time besides USAPL was the APF. So they were in, I think Alabama might be where they were based out of, but they had a meet, I think in Baton Rouge was the first one that I did, which was like 45 minutes from my house. So I was like, anything I can find that's close, I'm going to go. And USAPL only had one meet per year. So I did APF, right. I did (laughs) APF and then I did, I found out they had a drug tested division 
And so I signed up for both just because I was like, I want to have somebody to compete against. And I remember like the biggest meet I did back then had three women in it. But most of the meets I went to, I was the only girl. And so it was like this, I mean, do other people do this? And then I found out about the college. So I'm like, okay, well, what happens after college? Do they just quit? Like, why doesn't anybody else keep lifting? And here I am starting at like 32. And they were like, oh, we didn't realize the college kids. They were like, we didn't realize you were that old. Thank you guys. Right. Literally. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, I did that. And then I did, um, there was other, there was NASA, N-A-S-A. I found a meet that was close and I was like, oh, I don't know what this is. Let me go do that fed too. I just wanted to compete. And I didn't even think about like, they all have different rules and different memberships and all that stuff. I was just excited to go. So that's why the first year, I think other than, I think I did three feds that year. I think so. I think you did too. Cause there was like a, a small cluster of just like, like different federations. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then I found, um, I just decided to stay USAPL, but I traveled and then I qualified to be on the national team. And so that was the NAPF meet in Canada. That was a rough experience for me. And that was my last USAPL meet. I just, you know, it's like, I don't think I ever thought about my goals in the, like most people, well, let me not say that. I think because of the way USAPL is set up, a lot of people are like, oh, my goal is to go to Worlds. My goal is to, you know, and it's like, once you figure out how they actually pick that and what the qualifications are, you, the chances are slim to none. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, that's not fun. So what else is there? And so when I qualified for the national team, you know, I knew the world team, they got their jackets and their little track suit and all this stuff. And then when we had to get ours, they were like, oh, we have to pay for this. You have to pay for this. Is our name going to be on it? No, you got to pay for that. You got to do that. And I was just like, what am I paying for? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? So I did one and I literally, I didn't like that you only met your coaches. I couldn't get in the day before. So I didn't meet my coaches till that morning. And they had sent an email out. They had issues with getting me in the right weight class. So I was stressed about that. And I do feel like the issue was that they wanted me to cut weight because there was someone else in the higher weight class that they kind of wanted to favor for that weight class. And I was like, I don't care. I don't want to. It's my first time traveling for a meet. This is the biggest meet I've ever done. I don't want to cut. And so it was just a lot of stress going into it. And then the morning of, I find my coaches and I'm like, hey, y'all sent an email. We're supposed to talk about our numbers. And they were like, do you have your numbers? I said, yeah, I have some stuff right here. And they were like, you feel good about them? And I said, I think so. Yeah. And they're like, okay, that's good. And I was like, "Hmm, okay. And then, yeah, just the whole process of it. Like I walked away from that feeling just like, this isn't what I thought it was gonna be. And it wasn't fun. It was not, like I literally put my last deadlift down and I said, I'll never do this again. Like the belt flick after the deadlift, (laughs) never again. And I walked off the platform and that was it. Like I knew in that moment. 
this was just, and I didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, at the time, I was friends, I still am friends, but I was friends with Malik Durstein, and he was competing in the USPA. And he was like, well, why don't you just come do USPA? And he had previously introduced me to Steve, and I met Steve Goggins at Nationals. And so he was like, Steve has a meet. It's going to be in Atlanta. He puts on good meets. I promise you'll have fun. You need it after what you just dealt with. You got to fall back in love with the sport. And I was like, yeah, I guess I'll go. And I mean, fell in love. Like, first of all, 24-hour weigh-in, I will always be biased. Always be biased. Um, but that, and then too, just... I'm not a fan of the chaos before the meet for a USAPL meet, trying to get everybody weighed in, trying to get the flights figured out. When should they start warming up? Does anybody know what time this thing is supposed to start versus you take care of all that the day before and then you go in, you get ready. USPA, WRPF, USPC, like every other federation does it that way. And I mean... I don't tell my lifters where to lift. If they want to lift USAPL, I'm fine with that. With all the restrictions and stuff that they have going on now, I don't know if I'm allowed to actually go coach because I'm not, you know, I don't even get me started on that. But yeah, I just, I let, I let my lifters choose what they want to do and I guide them the best they can. But if they ask my preference, I tell them, I mean, I have not, there has not been many in how, let's see, five, six years I've been primarily USPA. I could say maybe two or three meets that I've gone to and I was like, this is a really bad meet. But I just, I feel like, I feel like there's more camaraderie and it was kind of hard to accept, but like, I don't know, you know, it's like, USAPL felt like high school and the cool kids. And if you weren't in with them, then you're just kind of off doing your own thing. So it's like, you got to find a click or you're just over there versus even when I'm at meets now, if it's a bigger meet, I'm not social. I'm, I'm not because I'm right here. But like other meets I go, I try to talk to people, make sure they feel comfortable, make sure, you know, they're excited. Do you have any questions? You know, I just, it's a different atmosphere. I and mean, then you can honestly even tell it in the gym. You can tell the difference between like USAPL lifters versus USPA lifters in the gym. What? Yes, yes. Like, wait, no, how? Like, what does it that just, mean? <laughs> it's, somebody actually pointed it out to me. And I was just like, I never really thought about that, but it's just, I feel like I'm gonna get in trouble. <laughs> It's almost like an air of superiority. And I know because USAPL prides themselves on being drug free, drug tested, all that stuff. And that's great. But just because you compete there doesn't make you any better than anyone else. And so I just feel like sometimes some of the lifters get so caught up in that. And the fact that their fed tries to like put them in this box where if you go anywhere else, you'll be kicked out, that it carries over to when they're in the gym and like, we're over here and we're doing our thing. And I'm like, man, look, I'm all over the place. Who are you? What meet are you doing? What you got coming up next? Like, 
it is not that serious. Now, if I'm six weeks out and this is one of my heavy sessions, I'm walking in with my earphones. I'm not talking to anybody. But other than that, like, I just, I don't like it. I hate that it's like that, but. You know, I freaking love hearing this side because I have been told, like, it was like one time where someone was telling me, like, they feel like USAPL is like for like the, like arrogance or something. They were just like, I don't know. Like, they just feel like they're, like you kind of said, prestigious. And for someone who's always been USAPL, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. Like, I go to the gym and they're all USAPL too. So I'm just like, we're all the same. So to hear like your perspective, it's like, man, I wonder if a lot of people really do see it that way. And I can see that too, because I know, I know the ridiculous rules that have come up and all the drama that's happened. And a big question I want to ask you is that NAPF meet you did, did you feel like it was a money grab? I said it. Yeah, I did. There was no stipend. I paid to go to Moose Jaw, Canada, which what is that? Where is that? The fact that we had to pay for every single little thing, there was no allowance for anything. I was mm-hmm. like, what did I get out of this? Yes. Well, you get to stay, you can, man, get out of my face with that. You get to stay, you competed what? No, like, I mean, at this point, I've competed at some of the biggest meets that there are. And they don't act like that. At least we got a goodie bag or something. Yeah. Make me feel good. Like this is supposed to be a reward. This is supposed to be like some kind of you've earned this. And I mean, yeah, I got to compete, but I could have competed somewhere else and my numbers would have counted the same. So what made this better other than I had to pay for my uniform and it's not like you couldn't get it. You had to get it. So no, I mean, even at like big meets I go to, they don't, you don't have to pay for a t-shirt. Like when I did Boss of Bosses, that's one of my favorite big meets that I've done. You know, they have a bank, you do pay for the banquet, but they had like goodie bags and like cups and socks and hats and t-shirts. If you got invited to the meet, you got a t-shirt for training. Then you got a shirt on meet day. Like make me feel like you value me. If I am an asset to this team, make me feel like it. I'm an asset to this team and I still feel like I owe you. Like I'm still trying to earn my spot, even though I already got it. And you know, what's crazy. Like, so in 2018, the junior, I went to worlds and like afterwards and like, it, like the meet itself went well. And afterwards everyone's like, how do you feel? How do you feel? Cause I ended up like, I did end up winning the junior, but like, let me tell you how I felt. <laughs> like I was 21. I was, beyond broke um like you said you had to get the uniform you had like I went to Calgary Canada thank god I wasn't even farther but like I was not making money I was like working a minimum wage job in retail I went right. into debt to do the meet I'm listening I just need to go put my fan on oh you're good I went into debt to do the meet I put it on a credit card which is a horrible yeah. mistake I came out of the meet I was like you know happy got home and I'm just like hyperventilating about like how I'm gonna like dig myself out of the debt I just put myself into and like afterwards and for me personally one thing that really stung for me was like most people got like a uh SPD like USA singlet said USA like I was the only one I didn't get one I still to this day don't know why never got one 
Like my friends who competed and got fourth and fifth got one. I'm like, cool. <laughs> like, so I got first and I never got it. No one who do I need to email? Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. we're years past. <laughs> so, wow. But it was like, you know, and, and like, I'm not going to, I'm still in the USAPL, but like, I will say the experience of Worlds, like all you get is the title. Like you get to say you did it. That is the extent of what you get, unless you're sponsored by someone who's paying for all your stuff. And that was not me. Right. Yeah. I ended up finishing third and I remember standing in the back getting ready to walk on the podium in first and second place. One was from Canada. One was from, or were they both from Canada? I know one was, one was in, one was from Canada. And so they have their flags and they're getting ready to walk out. I don't have a flag. So I was like, where, I want to hold a flag. I don't know, but like I said last time, but even still like, I just feel like for the way you they made this thing to be this big prestigious thing, th- there was a lot lacking for it. So I did it. I try not to tell people who are interested in doing it my story because I don't want to bust their bubble. Mm-hmm. You have to have your own experience. You know, that's fine. But, and it's even hard now because like, a lot of the bigger meets that they're having are now shifting towards WRPF, which is the Russian Fed. Mm-hmm. And I am like diehard loyal USPA. Like the first year that the Kern was supposed to be USPA and then Gracie got into it with the executives and they dropped it, it went to WRPF that year. And I was supposed to compete and I dropped out. I said, I'm not doing this meet because it's not USPA. And I haven't gotten that invite since I'm probably never going to get an invite and that's fine, but you know, it's just kind of hard because as an athlete, you want to go to the bigger meets, you want to compete where the big people are, you want to be on the big stage, but at the same time, it kind of messes with me feeling like I'm not being loyal, you know, and I don't even know, like, I don't know if I'm putting that on myself, if other people feel that way, the USA, USPA has never said like, you can't go compete anywhere else. But they have also made it clear that they appreciate having me in the Federation and what I've given back. And they're like, hey, we need you to come back to nationals because you can probably win and we'd give you a $1,500 stipend to go to Worlds. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Okay? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You don't get it till you get there though. They are not, they are not dumb. Okay. But still, I mean, I'm fine with that, you know? So I actually went to, um, Worlds was in Texas this year. So I went to go coach one of my guys and just hang out. And president of the Federation is in the back bench and warming up for bench. And he's like, hey girl, how you been? Come give me a hug. And we start talking. He's like, no, I'm a little disappointed you aren't competing. I was like, (laughs) right I was like uh sorry and he's like yeah because you would have you would have took home the prize for winning and you would have got $1,500 yeah so I was talking to Steve and I was like you think I need to do nationals again because I haven't done nationals since my first year and I don't know for some reason like because they have all these big money meets now 
Nationals doesn't get the same exposure. Like nobody's excited about going. And I've noticed that like every year it's like the meets might be filling up, but the top lifters aren't going because they're saving themselves for the money meets Mm -hmm. for the bigger money meets. So that's kind of in the back of my head. You know, maybe I need to do a national meet again because I did do that and it was fun. That's one of my, that's one of the first meets that I did with Steve and I fussed with him about my numbers. And I was like, I don't care what you saw on my deadlift. I want to pull this. And he was like, all right, go ahead. Load the bar. Go on and load the bar. I got it to my knees and literally jackhammered all this cramped because I didn't want to put it down. Yeah. I didn't want to hear. I told you like, yep. (laughs) And I missed it. I missed it. And I just screamed at the top of my lungs and I walked off. And I sat in the back and I was just sitting there with my hands over my head because I mean, I was done. I was fried. And he comes and he sits down next to me and I'm like, I know he's going to say something. Oh, I don't want to hear it. And he goes, yeah, I guess it just wasn't there today. But you can tell he wants to laugh. And I was like, I can't curse at him. <laughs> but oh, I want to curse at him. And I was like, nope. And he was like, yeah. So uh, you think maybe next time you're going to listen to me? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, Can you just let me have this? Let me get, let me wait a minute before you come tell me you were right. At least give me that. And he was like, nope, I'm going to do it right now just to make sure, rub it in, sting, so you don't forget how this feels. After that, I quit arguing with him. Every now and then it would be like, you really only, only going to give me 10 more pounds? Really? Like, come on, give me 15. I got 20, but give me 15, meet me in the middle. And he'll be like, all right, I trust you. And now since I've been coaching and now we're back to working together, he's like, what you think? What you got? Are you saving stuff? Is this why these other lifts look so slow? You saving it for your third? What are you doing? Or I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, yes, you do. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) So it's just, it's a completely different dynamic, but it's still fun because we're learning from each other. But at the same time, there's still that respect there because he is my coach. So it's cool. You know, was that a big coaching moment for you? Like um, after you missed that deadlift, did that help you as a coach to understand your lifters more? Cause I feel like experiencing that may make you be like, okay, like if someone's really pushing, but you really know they can't do it, you have to put your foot down. Yeah, I mean, you can, But at the same time, sometimes you have to back off. And he knew that in that moment, he needed to back off because I was going to be livid if I would have gotten anything less. Because in my mind, I would have been like, see, you put that, I did that. I probably could have did, which still I wouldn't have been able to, but I didn't know that. Mm. So, you know, I have had times where I've had to tell my lifters, hey, it's not there today. I know that's what you want. But look, let's rein it back in a little bit. Let's still get you this little PR, get you close, and then save it for the next lift. That's more important to you anyway. Because I know like one of my guys, he's big on bench and now he's starting to love deads, but he's always wanting to push his squat. And I'm like, you realize that sets the tone for how you're going to feel for the rest of the day. So yeah, could you have maybe pushed five or 10 more pounds? But what if that takes 20 pounds off your deadlift? And you know you have a goal for deadlift. So what's more important? 
So that's all because I love deadlifts. I deadlift first, squat, and then bench. I'm like, let's just get it over with. And I think <laughs> it's just because my bench kind of has stayed, it stayed around the same for so long that I'm just like, I don't care, whatever. And then there's all these girls now who are benching 300 pounds like it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know, back in my day, it's bad that I can even say that now. I sound like <laughs> the people who did stuff in high school. Back in my day, it was very rare that a woman could lift 500 pounds for a deadlift. And now people are doing it on their openers at 148 pounds. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Pretty so. Crazy. Would you say that you play it more conservative than on your third attempt for squats in general, just to make sure you have space for deadlifts? Um, yeah, but also too, because my nerves, like I want to throw up on squats every single time, opener, second and third, it does not matter. And so I tend to play it conservative because I know I literally start to descend and my legs are shaking. So I'm like, it's fine. I still want to hit a PR or depending on how my training's going, if it's looking like I should be close to this certain number, I want to get as close to that as I can. But at the same time, I'm like, I want to deadlift. So I don't want to hit a third attempt squat that literally has me grinding for five minutes or five mm -hmm. seconds, whatever. And then I can't recover from that because my back is tight or whatever else. So most meets before my tendency is I'm three for three on squats, two for three on bench, and then two for three on deads, because I usually go for what I really want on my second attempt. And then if something happens and I don't get it, I still have that third attempt to try it. And so I'll get what I want on my second and then third attempt. I'm like, I don't care. You can put whatever you want. I don't care. But I've already, my adrenaline's already starting to come down because mm -hmm. I'm so excited that I got it on the second. So Steve actually used to program, he used to run our, our meets. That's how he would call our numbers. And then after I stopped working from him with him, I've changed that for myself to where I was like, no, you need to go, not, you know, get closer to going nine for nine see how much you can push that third attempt without going over because that might make a difference in the total that might make a difference in you winning or losing. Mm -hmm. So I did better with that when I didn't work with him. And then just recently we did, we went out to Florida. I did the gym, third attempt deadlift, set squat. I asked him to push, same thing. Did my second attempt. He wanted to go this. I was like, nah, bump it up bench same thing he was like I think you got this in you and I was like all right I'll do it because I was just like I don't I don't want to do this and then yeah. deadlift so the goal was I want to pull 500 conventional because mm -hmm. I've done it conventional and sumo and I've done it sumo on the platform but I never did it conventional on the platform so he knew that was my goal so he is very conservative on openers. Like it's not what you can do for an easy three reps. It's what you can do for an easy five reps. That's what he wants to open with. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But if your second attempt is basically what you wanted for your third, that's a big jump. Yeah, that's huge. So yeah, so he had my opener for deads at 440. And then he was like, so we're going to go to 501 or <laughs> 
Exactly. I was like, <laughs> I'm on my planet. I said, Steve, I'm not a boy. I, I can't, girls don't do that. And he was like, you're not, also not a new lifter. You're an elite lifter. And I know from being with you before, and I've watched you, if there's something that you need to pull, you'll pull it. If you've already done what you need to do, you don't, you don't have it. But I think it's fine. I said, I'm, I'll trust you. Because he said, what if we have to do something like that at a big meet? How do you know you can do it if you don't try it? Now's the time to try. This is not a big, you okay. know, it was a big meet in terms of a lot of people, but it yeah. was still just like, a, this is a comeback, get a feel for the first time being back in wraps, no pressure. Mm -hmm. So he was like, now's the time to try it. So I was like, whatever. All I'm asking is you go, go up my opener. And he was like, to what? I was like, like 460, yeah, maybe like something more reasonable. And he was like, really? I said, at least 450, come on. So he was like, fine, I'll go change it. I'll walk out on the platform and I hear Barbara Lee opening with 446. You upped my opener five pounds, bro. At that point, you should have left the 440. Like, forget it. Like, let's just do 400. <laughs> I look, right, plate, 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 let's go. <laughs> I look at him and I said, are you, are you serious? And he goes, that's not what I told him. I swear that's not what I told him. I was like, I got you. I got you after this one. <laughs> so, I mean, it ended up working. It was fine. I got the 500 on my second. Yes. And the way it moved, it was like, okay, it looks like she has more. But I told him during warmups, I was like, my glutes and my hamstrings feel tired already. Like just warming up. So it was actually better to do what we did because my third attempt was only 20 pounds more and I got it to my knees and my glutes and hamstrings were like, we're not here for this party. It's not mm -hmm. <laughs> gonna happen. And had I done the more conservative 440, 485, 501, 508, I don't know that I would have got it because the okay. 485 probably would have took too much out of me. So there's a balance and it's somewhere between where he is and where I am. And we'll figure it out in the next, however long. We like 26 together. days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so <laughs> here's the crazy thing. So looking at numbers, I know that I'm still not hundred percent yet in terms of where I was before I got injured. But if I have a good meet and we hit the numbers we've been talking about, I will be very close. And that's more what I'm excited about. I'm not going in. Of course, I'm like, I want to place in the top three, but of my weight class, we already know. <laughs> we already know. It's not going to be top three Wilkes of everybody, but it'll be pretty close. And that's my goal. You know, the same thing happened at the tribute. I knew I wasn't going to finish in the top three. I knew I wasn't going to win my weight class. Like the girl who was in my weight class, she's another Texan, Ashley Garcia. Mm -hmm. She was opening with 500 on her deadlift. And that was You're my like... third attempt. So I was like, okay, so Ashley's going to come out first. I want to come out second. This is how we're running this meet. But the goal is I want to beat my best all-time Wilkes. That's all I care about at this meet. And literally my third deadlift put me like one point over mm -hmm. my pre and that's all I wanted. And then boss to bosses, I was like, I don't care about nothing. I want to pull 500 at 148, figure out the rest of the numbers, but that's my goal. And I ended up, because I was only looking at that, I ended up missing overall 
by like two points, two uh, yards points. That sucks. And I wasn't watching and I didn't tell the people who were helping me to watch. They should have been watching, but we're not going to talk about that. I was going to be like, I still think they should have. Yeah, yeah, but the goal was 500, and so they were like, afterwards, it was like, well, if we would have put 508, and you would have missed it, then you would have been mad at us, and I would have, I would have, I had to concede, so I was like, based on how the 500 looked, I don't think so either, but you never know, so I was just like, all right, but yeah, I was salty, because I was like, that was, a thousand dollars difference, two points in the prize money. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely stings. Yeah. I need to ask you because one massive thing that inspired me about you is that you came back from an injury that when you were talking about at the time, I could tell that you were like, this is like really crushing like my soul, but I'm gonna push through it no matter what. Mm-hmm. So are you comfortable talking about the knee surgery? Yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. I um, It was stupid because it was at Boss of Bosses. And actually, two days ago, the 30th, the 30th was the two-year anniversary of the day I got hurt. So, and I didn't even realize that. Somebody sent me like, hey, this came up in my memories, and it was the meet. Um, I pulled my 500, and I was so excited, and it was just... I don't know why I did it. I do have a habit of jumping. When I get excited, I jump. But this time I freaking stomped. Three times I jumped and stomped. And on the third stomp, it blew my quad tendon. I didn't get hurt lifting. So yeah, meat done. Oh. I hobble off the platform and I'm like, something's wrong with my knee. And by the time I got off the platform, I couldn't walk on it. So they carried me to the back, instant swelling, and I was helping Malik. He was competing. So I was like, I don't have time to sit down and put my leg up, put a knee knee wrap around it. And I was walking around with a knee wrap on it. And I was just like, I'll figure it out later. And then I got back. I had an MRI done, went to a doctor, and it was a page and a half of strains and sprains and tear and rupture. And yeah. Wow. And it doesn't help that I had done two big meets four weeks apart. I was going I, to say, I saw that. And I was like, is that why it was an overuse injury? Probably. I saw you and had your I best meet ever. I cut weight too. So that dries your joints out. And it was just, it was not, I didn't think about that ever being a thing. Cause lifting, I felt fine. I felt great, but I guess my body was just like, she's not going to stop. So we're going to make her sit down because she won't do it on her own. And the guy was like, the original doctor was like, you don't need surgery. Just take some time off. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay. How much? And he's like, I don't know. Just take some time off. And I was like, so what am I allowed to do? You don't want like, and he's like, I, go do some shrugs. I said, do I look like I need to do shrugs? Like what is really? He really said that. He was like, if you want to get a second opinion, there's another doctor here. You can go talk to him. This guy was freaking out on the fact that I wasn't on crutches and that I had been walking around like that. And he was like, you need surgery ASAP. We're going to go get you a brace and you need to schedule surgery immediately. 
And I was like, okay, this is some foolishness. Like two doctors in the same building, completely opposite. I'm going to go to somebody else. And so the third doctor was the same as the second doctor. You need surgery immediately. And then he was like, when did you tear your ACL? My ACL's torn. I was about to say, you didn't say that? Yeah, I was like, when did that? I said, I guess just when this happened. He said, no, this is old because there's no blood. There's no fluid. The only time I can think of ever hurting my knee, like seriously, was in high school playing volleyball. So I was like, well, we don't need to fix that because it's been broke and I've been doing just fine. So leave that alone. Just fix the quad thing. And he was like, did you ever think that maybe the quad thing happened because you had instability because you had no ACL? And do you really want to risk another surgery because you have instability, because you have no ACL? Fine, do the, other, do the surgeries together. We can't do them together because the rehabs are opposite. So you have to do them two separate surgeries. Okay, how far apart? Six months. I said, what is the soonest you can do it? Well, it takes three months for one tendon to heal. Okay, so you got three months. Three months after the quad tendon, go in and fix the ACL. Well, I really think you need to get, I don't care what you think. I'm not going to start feeling better and start not hurting and then turn around and go through this again. So you better get me while I'm down. And so that's been the hardest thing about coming back because I think the ACL surgery ended up feeling worse than the quad tendon surgery. And I don't know if it's because now I have screws in my knee, but it just, when it hurts, it's the incision where the screw is for my ACL. The quad tendon feels fine. I still have some atrophy. The muscle's not the same as the other one, but Susan Salazar She's doing the showdown too. Yeah. The Scar Twins because she had, she went down with a squat at the LA Fit Expo and blew her quad tendon. Yeah. That, and so now like everybody's like, you're not scared to lift? No, because I didn't get hurt lifting. That's It would be true. different if I did, but I mean, it does kind of freak me out when I get ready to go down and I feel like sharp pain and scar tissue breaking and like, Oh, knee, please hold up, hold up, hold up. Okay, one rep. Let's go again. Oh, hold up. Like every single rep I'm thinking about, Lord, please, I just want to get my strength back. That's all. Do not let this be the rep that ends me. (laughs) I know that sounds bad because I know I'm not going to say that. I think based on what happened with my rehab and my surgery, that if I were to get hurt again, especially that knee, I probably wouldn't. I might do push pull, but I don't think I would go back to trying to squat again, not yeah. competitively. Cause it's taken, um, of course my squat's taken the longest to come back. And so to go through that again, and I'm older. So are you more comfortable now in wraps because of that? Or are you more comfortable in wraps versus knee sleeves? I mean, of, of course the wraps are more supportive but the compression from them hurts so bad. And so when I first started getting back into wraps, that was the pain before I would even get to squat to wrap my knee and then try to walk to the bar. I literally like my mantra before I would go, like as soon as I would wrap the good one first, 
wrap the next one. And then I'm like, hurry up and go, hurry up and go. This hurts so bad. And so like after the second or third week, when I realized like you're going to hurt yourself that way because you're rushing, you're not thinking about your technique. You're just trying to hurry up and go. I would just stand there in them. And I'm like, you're fine. It hurts. You're fine. It's going to hurt anyway. Do it right before you hurt yourself. But then the worst part of the pain was coming out of the, like getting ready to stand up all the way and lock out. That's where it hurt the worst. So if I had to do reps, I wouldn't lock that knee all the way to finish. And then when I would go to put it back in the rack, I couldn't even step with that knee. Like it was just really sharp pain. It got better because I had to figure out which wraps to use and how to wrap it. But there'd be some days I don't feel like wrapping the wrap that I just used that doesn't hurt. So I'm going to use something else. And there was one video I posted. I didn't realize that the audio picked it up. But I told my back spotter, I said, stay with me because my wrap is screwed. And this might not be a good, <laughs> this might not be a good rep. And he was like, oh, crap, be unwrap it. No, I'm not unwrapping it. I'm tired to go a whole cycle wrapping my own leg. My forearms were tired. My grip was shot. And then, no, I'm not unwrapping it. Stay close. So <laughs> You're like, just I, don't mess up and we're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stay right here. So, I mean, of course, I like the ease of sleeves better. But you like the idea of being able to do more with the wraps on. So mm -hmm. I don't love training in them, but I figure my goal is probably to do one wrapped meat and one raw meat each year and just be good with that. The issue is just what weight class I want to do it in because wraps, I normally do 165s just so I don't have to worry about cutting. That's where I feel the strongest. Mm -hmm. And then I do 148 for raw, but I kind of want to do a 148 wrapped meat just to see. So, and then maybe do a raw 165. Them raw 65 girls though. I was going to say that's strong. Ooh, baby, let me stay in my 148. That's why I'm going <laughs> to down because I was like, Briani, Christy, Veggie Lifter, like me and Veggie Lifter competed against each other at Boss of Bosses. And I won because I had a bigger deadlift. She had a bigger squat. Mm -hmm. And I think she missed her squat. She missed, did she get her third or she missed? I think she missed her third squat. She had a bigger bench and the weight cut took her bench away. So after that, I was like, game on, deadlift is my party. But so then after that, she was like, I'm not cutting again. That killed my meat. I'm staying 165. But mm -hmm. the girls competing at 165 are competing from like cutting from 180, 185. I'm yeah. 165, 167, 170 if I was bloated from the weekend. Mm -hmm. That's just fat. That's not strong, you know? Like, I can't I can't do anything with that. No. I'm I will say, that's a big cut. Like, how far out do you start cutting? Like, for you, you do 148. Well, so before I got hurt, I stayed around 155. So it okay. was never anything drastic for me to cut. And then when I started toying around with, I want to try to do some stuff in the 165s, like I had trouble getting to 160. And I felt like, okay, even at 160, I'm still going to cut to like 152 for my Wilkes, but that's just a water load. I'll be fine. And then after I got hurt, I got really small. Like I was walking around at 147 and I was like, I don't like how this looks. Like I used mm -hmm. to think I wanted to be this small, but it was because I lost all my muscle. 
And so I was like, you know what? I don't care, boo. Bulking season is on. I'm about to go. And then next thing you know, I'm 160. And I was like, you're not as strong as you used to be in your 160, sweetheart. This is not all muscle. You need to get it together. And then the muscle started coming back. But cardio is really hard for me because literally the only thing I can do that doesn't hurt still is bike, Mm -hmm. which unless you're doing sprints or something like high intensity, like hit intervals, sitting on the bike for 30 minutes, pedaling the same speed is not doing anything. It's not a lot. Right. So (laughs) I was like, I'll add a little bit of cardio. Next thing you know, I'm 165 and I'm like, all right, girl, getting up there. And the next thing you know, I'm 167, then I'm 170. And I'm like, we got to figure this out because there is no way. So I started this cut. I got back from Ohio mid, what month are we? August, two weeks ago, and I was 170. Mm-hmm. And so I'm 160. I've been between like 160 and 162 right now. Yeah, well, like no carbs. Oh, no. Lord. It's been horrible. It's been absolutely miserable. The only oh, day that I, I'll have my car, I don't, I'll do like a protein shake in the morning. And then maybe if it's a training day, I'll add like 20 grams. I'll have a pack of grits or something, 20 grams of carbs. And then lunch is protein and a veggie. Then before I go to the gym, I'll have maybe like 30 grams of carbs just to like, I got to get through this. And then after I train, depending on what time I get home, I'll have a little bit of carbs just to help with, you know, not being sore, help my muscles recover, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But on any given day, never more than a hundred grams of carbs. Yo, do you feel like that's, had your training been still okay the past two weeks? actually it has not been bad I was very surprised because the week that I got down to 160 I was like oh god my training is gonna suck I have to eat more I'm not doing this to myself so the days that I trained I had carbs for breakfast carbs for lunch carbs before none at night and so then I went back up to 162 and so I've been sitting like 161 and a half, 162 this week. And this is a light week for me. So I'm like, okay, I was supposed to be like 158 this week and I'm not there yet. So I ideally the week of the meet want to be like 157 and water okay. late from there. So I'm not far and I have time, but it's just, I don't want my strength to take a hit. So I'm kind of trying to drop it all right now mm-hmm. and st- Next week is going to be my last heavy week of training. So it's kind of like, let's see where I am with the cut and all that stuff. And hopefully it goes well. But in training, I've hit the numbers that I wanted to hit already. So now I'm kind of just like, can we just maintain my strength with the cut and go into the meet? I have no idea where those numbers are going to place me. You know, it's whatever it is but it makes it a little easier to go in and feel good about it versus like I know I have no chance of winning why am I even doing this mm-hmm. yeah so if next week's your last heavy week essentially you're saying that you tend to do like your heaviest stuff two weeks out no but that's what Steve wants to do so that's what we're doing 
I normally do so week of the meet one day, usually like the Tuesday, go in light squats, light bench, cardio if you need to, some mobility stuff, stretch, roll, all that stuff. The week before that, I will do, and it just depends on where I am because, and I do this with my clients too, depending on where we are in the cycle, how their training is finishing, if I think they're going to peak too early, then I may let them do like a heavy double and then we'll do an opener the week before and that's it. They never, we don't, we don't, I'm, I've been a little more lenient the past year letting them have more like YOLO days when they're off season, mm-hmm. but we don't know we, during prep. We don't max like ever, never. Yeah. So I would normally do opener, maybe second for deadlift 10 days out and then squ- opener second for bench, but like a heavy second, just to kind of see how close I am to that third attempt mm-hmm. and then squat the Saturday before I would do opener. And then if I'm feeling good, I would do projected second. If not, do my opener, shut it down. But because of my knee, it's kind of been hit or miss. Like a month before the gym, went and had a deadlift party the week before. And the two weeks before, I basically treated it like I was going into a deadlift only meet. So pulled 505 for a double. Okay. Not the week after that, because the week after that, we kind of just did like a deload. And then the week after that, I was supposed to go pull, I think, 450 for a trip for two triples. Should have been fine. Mm-hmm. I did one triple. I felt a burning sensation in my bicep shut down. I am hurting. I don't know. We're not doing this. And Steve was like, Yeah, we might have peaked you too early you're not deadlifting again till the meet. And I was like, I don't even care because I hurt right now. I'm not going to argue with you, like whatever it is. So yeah, I'm looking at the calendar and I kind of feel like it's a little early to do last heavies, but Mm -hmm. I also know with the cut that I have coming and how my body's going to be dried out, I don't want to put any, because I've been having trouble with like my knee hurting longer after training sessions. I don't want to risk that close to the meat and not go into the meat 100%. 100% for me. So yeah. we're doing it a little early. And then the week after I'll do speed pulls. And I've been training sumo and conventional. So like on the days when I have my deloads or lighter days, I'll warm up both. But sumo hurts my knee right now. So I do want to get back to being able to go heavier with that. I think my best sumo I pulled 405 for a set of five but I just it doesn't feel the same I can't get in position right where the screws are it just it hurts and I feel like my lockout's weird and I just I don't want to chance it so we're doing conventional oh yeah (laughs) always has been and Steve's like but it doesn't matter if that's what you like more if sumo is more efficient and shorter range of motion I'm not trying to hear all that. I like pulling conventional. I like how it looks. I look how I, I like how it feels. That mm-hmm. is what I want to do. The only reason I switched was because I was having SI joint pain really bad and I could not pull conventional. Okay. That's the only reason I started pulling sumo. Got it. Never would have switched. 
<laughs> do you feel like your experience with recovering from your surgery has in any way helped you become an even better coach? Yeah, and I think too, because not only dealing with my recovery, but then having an athlete who got injured. And so it was like, okay, you've been training with me. You were in my house, like training in my garage during COVID. The first time we celebrated me squatting all the way to depth, no bar, just body weight. And then when we did 135, you see how long it took. So keep that in mind, be patient, follow your program. Cause it's like, as soon as you start feeling good, you get that itch, I wanna go try something. And I did, I tried stuff. And then yep. it set me back three weeks. Like I told my therapist in March around my birthday, I said, I wanna squat. This was so four, three months after surgery. I said, I wanna squat 135 pounds for Mother's Day. And she looked at me like I was crazy. Like, no way, don't even attempt it. And so I was just like, they're treating me like I'm 80. Like, I'm, maybe they don't understand how serious I am about wanting to get back to the platform. Mm -hmm. So two or three weeks after that, I did it. I didn't even wait till Mother's Day. I just did it. <laughs> and it didn't feel like anything. Like, it was e not easy. I mean, I shifted and all that crap. But I did it. And I didn't feel like, I was like, all right, that's done. And I was like, I'm not going back to therapy. <laughs> it's a waste. They're holding me back. They keep telling me I can't do stuff that I can. And I already, cause I had talked to Susan during her recovery. She mm -hmm. said like three weeks after or two weeks after surgery, they already had her doing leg extensions, trying to make it so that she didn't lose a lot of muscle. They kept okay. me in, locked in a brace for eight weeks. Wait, for real? Like you did nothing on that leg? Nothing. Yo, this sounds they like old, outdated. A, right. They put a like a TENS unit thing on my quad. That was the stimulation for my muscle. And I could do leg raises. It's like, leg raises don't even wreck your leg. Like legit, like you feel Flex like that. quad and do a leg raise. That was the extent for the first eight weeks. So I was livid. So the week after I did the 135 for a single, I was like, you know what? I think I can do it for 10. Who does that? Who does that? In their right mind, like who does that? Me, I did. <laughs> I couldn't squat for three weeks after that because my knee hurt so bad. And I was like, okay, so lesson learned. You might need to dial it back a little bit, maybe. So I was but like- after that, oh, sorry. I was gonna say, did you go back to PT after? No. Like the same PT? Mm -hmm. I haven't been back at all. I had um I had one therapist that I worked with for a while. He kind of did some virtual stuff with me and he made one drive out to the house and told me some stuff to do. And I'm just really bad at like following that stuff long term because I'm just like, I just wanna squat. I just wanna squat. I wanna deadlift. I wanna do my stuff. It helped, but some of it I was like, mm, I don't know. So it's cool because he still follows me now. And he's like, it's amazing to see how far you've come and just your determination. Like, cause I mean, some of the stuff, what's that thing? Like the greatest um, stretch in the world. Mm -hmm. The thing where it's like, you're down and one leg is out. Yep. I could not do that on my bad leg. I couldn't straighten out and hold my weight on that leg. So that was stuff that he wanted me to do. And I was just like, yeah, I don't want to do that. 
you need to do something else. And I did it and like some more core stuff. And it was all stuff I needed to do. Stuff yeah. that I've paid more attention to now than I ever did before. Because before I was just like, I am only doing stuff that's going to contribute to my squat bench and my deadlift. I'm not doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, uh, if you don't want to blow your back out again, you might want to do some core work. You might want to do some hyper extensions, work some more on those glutes. Because ladies, just because your butt is big does not mean your glutes are strong. Word. So that was something I had to learn the hard way too. Oh my gosh. So how, like, do you find that it was difficult for you to balance like coaching while you were dealing with this, well, you still kind of dealing with it, but like while dealing with recovering and then your own training as well? Or was it like easier in the way? Could you have maybe more time for coaching? Like, I don't know. Well, so the group that I coach here, we train as a train, like a team, like we train as like training partners. Mm-hmm. So it helped because a lot of times they'd be like, B, we got this for you. You don't need to go do like, we'll load the plates. We'll do this. You know, it kind of took some of the work off of me. So I could focus more on actually training, but then at the same time, I'm still ripping and running and trying to do stuff for them. So it was harder to balance in the beginning. Cause like I had surgery and then two weeks later I was in at raw nationals. And I'm in the back trying to spot my lifter with my leg in a brace. And I remember one of the guys came over and like elbowed me out the way and was like, go sit down. What are you going to do if she goes down? I mean, that's real, you know, and I'm not mad that he did it. Anthony Harris. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, don't do me like that. (laughs) Come on, man. You embarrass me like that. But I mean, ripping and running through there and like actually trying to run at one point, limping and just. It was a lot, but I just, I felt like if I didn't stay in the thick of things, I don't know how I thought that I would maybe like, I would lose the fire. I don't know why I thought that, but I've never had a serious injury like this before. So I didn't know what to expect if, cause there was some days sitting down doing my rehab at the gym where I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this again. I really don't know. And it made me sick because I just I never thought that was an option. And when I asked my doctor, like, how long before you think I'll compete again? And he was he just stared at me. I was like a year. And he was like, no, I was like two years. And he just looked at me and I was like, I'm not even going to ask you. Yeah. And that's why I made it a point one year later after the second surgery, I did a meet and I was like, I don't care. I mean, I do care, but I don't, I know my numbers aren't going to be back to where they were, Mm -hmm. but I just need to get it done because I know my nerves are going to be shot. I just need to know that I can put myself through that, do a whole day of, cause I don't train squat, bench, deadlift all in one day. Mm -hmm. I've never done that. So I need to know how my knee's going to hold up doing that too. And I mean, even still like my first meet back, I competed at 165. I weighed in at 161, 162, something like that. I didn't cut and I squatted 350, 353, which my best squat raw was 429. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you're a good ways off, but well, your surgery was a year ago. I'm not mad about that. My goal was 300. So I was like, I'm happy about that bench. I didn't care. 
And then deadlifts, <laughs> I was like, I just want to push it. Whatever it is, I just want to be able to push it. And I think it was like 463 or something like that. So I was like, all right, we know what we're starting with. Now we just got to recomp and get this weight down and figure out how to do it again at a lower body weight. So man, I'm excited. I, what? May I ask what we're excited to try to hit on the platform? Well, so the goal was a 400-pound squat, which I did August, uh-uh, yeah, August. I saw that really recently. I should have a Yeah, um, yeah, it was uh, when I went out to Elite. I didn't know it was on the bar. He loaded it, and I yep. thought it was like, yeah, because so I thought we did 340 or three, I think we did 365. Are you talking about? USP in the gym? No, no. When I went to, so I did 420, 430, 429, at the, mm-hmm. or 434, whatever, at the gym in wraps. We went to Ohio to train out at Elite FTS, which, oh my God, that was literally bucket list trip. Like, I was like, the most, that was my most meathead experience ever. Like, when I found out Steve was going and he could take people, I was like, oh my God, please, can I come? Please, can I come? And he was like, I mean, yeah, you want to. I booked my ticket the minute he said yes. Like, no questions asked. Um, So that weekend, he was like, you want to squat heavy? And I was like, let's go, whatever you say. And so he started loading the bar and I'm looking at it. I'm like, we on a squat bar. I hate that bar. Okay, that looks like about 360. All right, so he puts that. And he's like, how you feel? And I'm like, I'm fine feel good but there's like a cameraman going around and like right in your face and stuff yeah. and I'm like it's fine you're fine just breathe and so he loads the bar for the next one and I'm thinking he's gonna go like 38 because he likes to take smaller jumps mm-hmm. so I thought he was gonna go like 385 maybe 390 and so I didn't really like get myself mentally like there yet because I saved that for when I need it So I was like, all right, this will be a little heavier. Get this one out the way. And then maybe he'll let you go four. Mm -hmm. So I squatted. And every time I use the 55 pound squat bar, it's a thicker bar. It kills my elbows and my biceps. And it Mm. always rolls up on me. So I go down and I start coming up and I feel it rolling. And I'm like, you're fine. I hate this bar. Just stick with it. Stand up. We rack it. And I was like, "Eh, that kind of sucked. I should have moved the bar a little lower. And he was like, Barbara, that was 400. And I was like, I want another one. He was like, no, you still have to get it. Save it for your deadlifts. I was like, you know, that was the goal for the meat, right? And he's like, yeah, I know. So whatever he puts on the bar, I want it 400. We've done it already. So, Mm -hmm. and then last week, I think I did 390 for a double. There we go. But then it just, it's like, you want to be excited, but you know, like, compared to the other girls so I'm like don't think about comparing I know I'm not supposed to do that but I'm still an athlete and I'm still a competitor so the coach says chill out we're gonna do what you can do don't worry about them the athlete is like no I want to compete I want to roll some heads like I want them to be like oh she's back back not a little back but not yet we still still have some time but I probably get that though. It's like you know you're coming back and you're trying to just do the best you can do. But it's like you're 
like you've been there and you've been like fighting to like move people off the podium so it's hard to be like oh man like I know that if this was like a different time pre-injury I would have been like smoking your butt and now I'm like pushing to get this number that I've hit in the past so it's I know it's hard mentally but it's crazy because like it's been two years and you have come so far and most people even if they're serious about competing, they'd be like, you know, I don't, I don't want to take time to get back. Like, that'll take forever. I'm not doing it. And Steve actually told me that. We were talking about my numbers for this and then talking about going out to Battle of the Bay in February. And he was like, you know you're crazy, right? Like, I've been knowing you for a long time. You're one of my best friends. But to come back, he was like, Barbara, you don't even have like as much muscle as you had before. And he was like, I'm not saying this to be mean. Don't take it that way. He was like, but you're not even working like you used to work. You're trying to get back there, but you physically can't yet. And your numbers are almost back to where they were. You're crazy. And he was like, most people don't come back from that. Like they don't want to, they don't have the heart to. It's just, it's a lot. And I was like, this is all I wanted though. So there was nothing else. There wasn't another option. Like I was going to try and I was either going to get back or I was going to hurt myself again, trying to get back. But I was not going to just be like, I'm not doing it. Oh my, it's how you know, like serious heart with champion right there. I just, I, to come from before I started lifting and it was literally just, in the club every night, drinking, drugs, like a lot of bad stuff. To come from that to finally feeling like you found something that you're good at and something that makes you want to appreciate your body instead of hate it and makes you love yourself instead of feeling like I'm not good enough for anything. Like there's no way that I could ever Right now, and I mean, I've felt like this for the last eight years, there's no way that I cannot have this, be it lifting, be it coaching, whatever, like, this is something I'm always going to want to be a part of. And I've been kind of trying to figure out, like, I had so many ideas, and then I just got focused on my training, and those kind of took like a back seat. But like, I've been wanting to do more women's empowerment stuff and do seminars and like, You know, I know coming in as a beginner, how much I didn't know and how I wished I would have had guidance, especially being a woman from another woman, because guys, there's a little more information now, but like the coach that I had when I started, he didn't know anything about powerlifting. That dude had the (laughs) Louis Simmons book of methods, West Side Barbell book of methods, and that's what he trained me using. And I was like, well, what about this? Like, I'm starting to have a lot of pain in my hip flexors. And this one lady told me you should switch to shoes with a heel. Mm-hmm. And so I go to my coach. And I'm like, what do you think? Of-? No, we use chucks. Like, this is just a, a fact, like, period. The end of the sentence. Really? Like- you use chucks. And so I stayed in chucks. And I mean, our training was literally always work up to a heavy single or double. And then drop sets everything to failure everything to failure training five to six days a week 
I was always hurt, always aching. Everything was just bad. And the next thing you know, my first coach after that, I went with Juggernaut, Chad Wesley Smith's group. Mm-hmm. And I was like, four days in the gym, that's it? What am I supposed to do on these other days? Like Rest. What is rest? <laughs> what are these, what, three by five? What is this? Where's the rest of my work? Like, I this is not going to get me strong. And then I didn't get strong for a while because it was still fear of training heavy by myself. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, my ex-husband would sometimes go to the gym with me and other times he wouldn't. So if I didn't have a spot, I don't care what was on my program. If I put that bar on my back and it was heavy, it's not going today. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even trying. I would no. message my coach, hey, sorry, I, I couldn't work up to that today. I was so horrible. Sorry, we didn't get to that today. I stopped at this because that's all I felt comfortable doing. I'm, I would, as a coach, that would have been my face like, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm, all right. But it's one of those things that like helps you get into the mind of the newer lifter, right? Like when you think back to that, it's like, okay, maybe this person that is not just didn't feel like doing the program. So you can't just like yell at them. Maybe they're really scared that they're going to literally die in that basement by themselves. And you have to like somehow talk to them about it or whatever it is. And you can't just be like, you suck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I have, I do work with a lot of new lifters. And honestly, sometimes I like working with sometimes. I like working <laughs> with newer lifters because they're raw and they're fresh and they don't have all this crap in their head about unless they've been watching people on Instagram. Yep. That's different. But for the most part, they're not like, they don't have as many bad habits that mm-hmm. you're trying to break. But then you get those few that are like, oh, well, I saw this and I thought this made me feel like a beast. So I was doing this. And then, but can you just do what I asked you? Like, why did you come to me? I've let clients go. You don't listen. I don't work with you. Like, I just, because I do this because I love it. Yes, they pay me. But for what I give back, I could be charging you a lot more, number one. Number two, I'm invested. And so I already have a grand plan from the minute you sign on to me and tell me what your date, your meet date is. I already have a plan. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to tweak it along the way, but, and then here you come doing stupid stuff along, yep. no, mm-mm. no, I had one client like- ask, can I switch to sumo? We are six weeks out. No, you cannot. We can try it in the off season, but no. And then I'm sitting at my meet in between scrolling on Instagram and I see a post. Hey guys, my first time doing sumo. What do you think? Feedback is wanted. Really? Feedback and you have no coach. Period. <laughs> I politely sent it to them. Okay. I think it'll be best if you find another coach because we've talked about this and I told you this was not going to be a good idea. And now you're asking the internet for feedback instead of the coach that you're paying. I don't want to waste your money and I don't want you wasting my time. So I wish you the best. One girl paid me two days later. I sent her money back. Mm-mm. You don't <laughs> know. I'm not even keeping it because I don't want no kind of karma associated mm-hmm. with you. Here's a refund. Good luck. Well, can I keep my program? No, you cannot. Can you keep no. my program that I wrote for you to take to another coach? Like they say in Louisiana, where they do that at? 
no man you can <laughs> no you cannot oh my gosh that is crazy but sometimes it has to happen mm -hmm. it is not just about the money for me at all I love it anytime I can be in an athlete's meet I want to be there because I want to take the stress off I want to be there to encourage like when my athletes are with me at a meet they know you only get up to go to the bathroom other than that sit down Mm -hmm. And they don't think it matters. But I'm like, do you know how many calories and the energy you burn? Let me go talk to this person. Let me go walk around and do this. Oh, I want to go look at shirts. No. Like my first expo, Steve had to do the same thing to me. Mm -hmm. I was at the LA Fit Expo. Like, oh, this is big time. Steve, I want to go check out Dana Lynn Bailey. And I want to go do this. And I want to go to this. And then you are not about to be walking around <laughs> on this concrete for your knees to be shot and yeah. your back to be hurting for the meet the next day. So go away in and take your butt back to the room mm -hmm. and I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. But, but mm -mm. No. I went to Hawaii for a meet and I got there two days early to adjust mm -hmm. to the time change. I stayed in my room with the windows, blinds closed. I don't even want to look outside because I can't go outside. I can't go <laughs> by the pool. I can't do anything. I don't want to see it. Stayed in my room. I weighed in. I went back to my room. Now, after that, it was on after the meet. Yes. But that's what I try to tell everybody. Like, you are going to literally throw away your whole prep to go sightsee. Yeah. The day before the meet, you are walking around sightseeing. Getting 20,000 steps and you know it takes 5,000. Really? Right. <laughs> you don't even do cardio like that during the prep. <laughs> Can't get you to walk nowhere. What the hell no? Oh my gosh. So I don't want to take it too much more time because we're actually pushing two hours, but I have one more question for you. Because I looked at your YouTube channel. Yes. Like. It's awesome. You're doing this beauty stuff now. So is this like a new, a, a, another thing you're adding on, like to the list of hats you wear, like to the list of things you do to monetize? Like <laughs> the beauty stuff was before powerlifting. I, I didn't even know that. I just started yeah, looking at it. I didn't have a channel. I didn't have a channel okay. because I was so insecure about people seeing me without makeup like I turned 30 and my body went nuts like hormonal acne everywhere and at first I was like you know it's not a big deal it's just acne like nobody cares and then when my grandmother passed away I was 20 21 something around there and I didn't go visit her gravesite for 10 years. Like that's how hard it hit me. And when I went to the graveyard, I couldn't find her grave. And so I called my uncle and I was crying because I felt embarrassed. And I was like, can you come show me? And of course he went off on me, but then he comes to show me and he comes up and he gives me a hug. And then he looks at me and he goes, whoa, what happened to your face? It's not that. Right. Cause I wasn't thinking I needed to put on makeup to go cry at a gravesite, mm -hmm. And so that moment was like, oh no, I have to cover this. Cause I don't want people looking at me like that. I already don't want to be noticed. And now when they do notice me, that's what they're going to see. 
So I got into makeup just because I wanted to cover my acne. It wasn't like I'm in love with it. And then over the years, I've become more passionate about it and more like, oh, what's the difference between this? And okay, why am I going to spend $125 on a palette when I can go to Walmart and get one for six? What's the difference? So I started watching YouTube videos and I didn't know anything about YouTube and you can get eventually like paid and all that stuff. So my son actually was like, mom, you need to do a YouTube channel for your makeup. And I was like, baby, I'm not getting on that camera for people to see me with no makeup. Like, are you serious? And he was like, but you could be good at it and you can help other people because if you have acne and maybe someone has acne, they can cover it. I finally got on Accutane last year and that is what cleared my face up. But of course you still have scars. Mm -hmm. So I haven't posted the video. I don't know why I haven't, but I kind of did like a journey of my Accutane. But when I got into fitness and I started feeling good about myself, it really threw me off how many people were negative. You look like a man. I was, right now I'm 160. I was like 130, maybe 135. That's one of my own family. It's your family that does you the dirty. Yep. My yep, family, one of my cousins was like, bro, you need to chill out with the weights. Like you have a six pack. And I was like, he said this, it was like, um, like around Easter. And so we had a get together and he said this in front of everybody. And so of course me self-conscious, I'm like, everybody's looking at me now. And so I just kind of tried to joke it off. And I was like, uh, not really. I only have like four, uh, you know, I'm working on it. And he was like, nah, bro, for real, you need to chill out. And he looks at my husband, at my ex-husband. And he was like, I don't know how you sleep next to that dude at night. What? No. And then was the dinner over after you punched him in the face or? Oh, nothing. My ex didn't say nothing to him. Oh. Didn't. Uh, yeah. So that was problems. I guess that's why. Never mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yep. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like I had so much negative stuff. And so it was like, there has to be beautiful women out there that have muscles like what so I started like I got obsessed about that at one point and I started looking and the first woman that I found was Dana Lynn Bailey and there was another Nicole I can't think of her last name I think it starts with a W um bodybuilders but I was like they were still feminine but they had muscle they had their makeup done and I was like so it is possible and so back then when I was just working out before I even started powerlifting, I was trying to think of names for like a girls group I was going to start of girls who wanted to lift. And I had like Barbell Babes and Bell of the Bar and like all this stuff. But then, you know, it just kind of died down. So I got the name Barbell Barbie from one of the trainers at the gym. And to this day, I'm better about it now. But like before people would ask me, what's your Instagram? And I'm like, I don't want to stay because I always was just like I don't want people to think like I think that highly of myself like oh I'm a Barbie because no mm -hmm. but I wanted to do I started doing the makeup mainly one to conquer a fear of mine which was being on camera with no makeup and even so now sometimes I look at the videos when I do them and I cringe but I'm like it is what it is this is what you look like you, some days you look tired some days you don't but 
guess what, sweetheart? You're almost 40. You got a 20-year-old. You got two grandkids, second one on the way. Ooh, you didn't been through some stuff. Your face might look like it a little bit. That's what concealer is for. So let's show how we get this together. Mm -hmm. And at one meet, I don't remember which meet it was, but one of the announcers was like, how do you go through a whole meet and you still look flawless at the end? And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna talk about that on YouTube. I'm gonna show people how to do makeup and I'm gonna do like meet day makeup. But then it just turned into, I wanna do different looks. And I want, I started beauty and strength and it was more just like, there is beauty in being strong regardless of what you look like. So just because if you're a super heavyweight and you're strong, if you are a 114er and you're strong, you don't have to only be beautiful because you look like an Instagram fitness model. It comes in different sizes. If there's something, I'm a very big advocate of, if there's something you don't like, change it. If it be plastic surgery, if it be just you need to go to the gym, whatever you need to do for you, and you can do it without putting yourself in debt or whatever, do it. Life is short. You have to look at yourself every day. And if you're not happy with what you see, how are you going to go out and be around other people and be happy? Now, if you love what you see or you're just against it, to each their own. But, okay, you can't do plastic surgery, but you want a nose job, I'm going to show you how to contour. You have dark circles, nothing you put on them. I'm going to show you how to fix that. But overall, in general, it's like, hey, guess what? There's all these influencers who are all like super pretty, but they're all like this big or they get butt lifts and they get all this stuff. I'm going to show you all different. I'm still going to show you how you can be beautiful. I'm going to slap on a wig. I'm going to do my makeup. And look, she's beautiful with big traps. Look at her arms. You can do both. And so that was kind of like the inspiration. I wanted to do more fitness videos on my channel, but there's only so many times you can talk about how to bench press. There's only so many times people are going to want to look at you squat or deadlift. So it was like, I can't do as many of those as I can makeup. So it's mostly geared towards makeup now, but it's been a process learning YouTube and editing and all that stuff. But I do eventually want to do more fitness stuff with it and do, I don't know if I want to do like interviews or pie. I don't know anything. It's like, I cringe at the idea because I think about all the technology I have to learn. Mm -hmm. So that's it's like, I'm, me from YouTube. yeah, well, so that's what's stopping me from podcast. Cause me and Steve have been talking about doing that forever, but I'm like, but how would we even set this up? Like, how do you do it? So maybe we can. Chat I'm about to this. say because this is really easy. <laughs> YouTube is easy. The only thing that's hard is the editing after. That's you what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I learned some stuff. I got you. Oh my god! But so yeah, <laughs> this my little safe space. This is just like I can come in here and lose myself for hours. And it's like if I have a bad day training, I'll come in and I'll swatch some lipsticks. I'll swatch some eyeshadows. And I'm like, you'll be fine. You have another day. And I just, I try, I guess in my mind, I'm like, I want to be the one that is an advocate for breaking stereotypes. And I know there's a lot of people out there already that do, but I want to be one of the Black women who does it. I want to be one of the mothers who does it. I want to be 
one of those nine to five every day, like I have a regular job, people who do like, I want, I can relate to a lot of different people on different levels. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that kind of, kind of gives me an advantage. Maybe not that's in my head, but that's what keeps me doing it. So people love when you, when you can relate to them. So that's not in your head. Like you have mm-hmm. a lot of, like you have so many different roles in life. And it's like, if you can connect with someone in that way and be like, so here's how you can still be like this, even though we both work nine to five or whatever it is. People right. love that. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's always, you know, somebody's, oh, well, I can't do this because I have a job or I can't do this because I have kids or I can't no, sweetheart. I have a job. I have clients. I have a training schedule. I have a YouTube channel. Like I have a lot, but you have to figure out how to prioritize it. I have a pretty rigid schedule that I try to stick to. And that's what helps me keep everything organized because otherwise I would be all over the place. And I want to get more involved. I don't know how this women's empowerment thing is going to happen, but it's going to happen because it's still in my head. Like I want to do, like I went to girl clothing, girl live. They had, I went in Vegas and I was just like, I just want like a 10th of this. Like not all those people. Cause I can't even fathom maybe, <laughs> yeah. but just to be a part of that. And they asked me to come out there. I think they covered some of my expenses and asked me to come out there so they could shoot clips for what they wanted to put together and I was like I would have paid for this myself just to be a part of it but thank you I definitely appreciate it but it was just amazing and it was women from all different sports and just everybody come together and we're all awesome and it was great dude thank you so much for your time of course (laughs) I'm glad you asked me This was awesome. Okay, guys, catch next time on the Power and Lifting Podcast. Oh my gosh, tell the people where to find you, Barbara. Oh, yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Miss Barbell Barbie. My makeup page, which I don't post enough on because I'm I'm not good with social media, period, is beauty underscore in underscore strength underscore official. I got to shorten that. Um, and then my YouTube is my name with Miss Barbell Barbie in the middle. So, or you can look up beauty and strength. So if you want makeup, go to YouTube. If you want lifting, go to Instagram. Perfect. And then my team, Relentless Power Systems. I do coach. We have athletes in different states. So it's okay if you're online, but yeah, that's it. Thanks for having me. I'm going to link all that in the show notes for you guys so it's even easier for you to find it. Thank you so much for listening to the Power and Lifting Podcast. If you made it this far, then please do me a huge favor and subscribe and leave a five-star review.